myself. And the truth of the matter is, I don't enjoy preaching at all. I, I don't like it, but it's one of those things that I've been told that I have to do if I'm going to be a minister. <laughs> so uh, one of the lessons I've learned along the way is uh, if, if, if you don't enjoy doing something and if you're not good at it, uh, ask for help. For real, it'll save your life. Ask for help. So um, I, I've solicited, I think, two veterans. <laughs> correct? I, mm -hmm. uh, to help us out on this uh, Sunday where we uh, celebrate Veterans Day. To come forward and they are going to lead us in our scripture reading before we get into the sermon. So you can come forward at this time, brother. Um, and before they come forward and read scripture, I am going to give a shameless plug for Tuesday night Bible studies that I teach. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I praise God for all of y'all that have been faithfully joining us. And uh, for those of you that haven't, oh, I definitely have a goal of seeing y'all faces this coming Tuesday, where we are going to be starting a very in-depth Bible study uh, with regard to the book of Deuteronomy. Um, and in many ways, this sermon this morning is gonna foreshadow that in a bit. So I can't give you too much. But just a little bit to uh, join us on Tuesdays at 6. We're having a wonderful time. And uh, one of the things that we try to focus on is putting Africans first when we read the Bible. And the way we do that is, and if you have your pen and paper with you, I know y'all got the little note section on the back of your program. Definitely feel free to jot this down. One of the ways that we try to focus on putting Africans first when we read scripture is always asking ourselves two questions. The first one is, where is the African? And the second one, I play with this question a little bit, is, is the African free? I want to ask ourselves uh, those two questions before we read scripture and while we engage in our sermon as well this morning. So uh, let's have our Old Testament read, brother, please. Good morning, church. I'll be reading from Genesis chapter 50, verses 1 through 7 and verse 14. I'll be reading from the NIV. Says Joseph threw himself upon his father and wept over him and kissed him. Then Joseph directed the physician in his service to embalm his father Israel. So the physician embalmed him, taking a full 40 days, for that was the time required for embalming. And the Egyptians mourned for him 70 days. When the days of mourning had passed, Joseph said to the Pharaoh's court, if I have found favor in your eyes, speak to Pharaoh for me. Tell him my father made me square an oath and said, I am, I am about to die. Bury me in a cave. Now let me go up and bury my father. Then I will return. Pharaoh said, go up and bury your father. As, you, as, as he made you swear to, to do. So Joseph went up to bury his father. All Pharaoh's officials uh, accompanied him 
and imitators of his court and all the imitators of Egypt. Chapter um, four, I mean, um, verse 14, it says, after burying his father, Joseph returned to Egypt together with his brothers <coughs> and all the others who had gone with him to bury his father. May the Lord have a blessing upon the Lord and his word. I will be reading unto your hearing Acts 8, 26 through 35. And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem into Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went and behold, a man of Ethiopia, an eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot read a read Isaiah's the prophet. Then the spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah, and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. The place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep into the slaughter. And like a lamb dumb before this, his shearer, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. The Lord's word is blessed. Will you pray with me, church? May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our God, our rock, and our redeemer. Amen. 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 So I'm good and old-fashioned Baptist. So I believe in putting titles to sermons. Go ahead. Amen. So the title of this sermon is called Back to Africa. Okay. All right. Back to Africa. And another uh, practice that I've tried to adopt uh, is dedicating sermons to ancestors. 
So I'm going to dedicate this one uh, to both my grandmothers. Amen. Uh, who Amen. are no longer with us. Amen. They've gone on to be with God. Uh, and my special connection with my grandmothers and my faith is uh, both my grandmothers were members of the same church. All right. That my parents met in. Amen. So the sermon to them. Back to Africa. So the one and only time so far that I've had the opportunity to travel to the continent was the last time I was in school before moving to Philadelphia to attend Temple. So I told you, it was when I met Pastor Rudolph. I was a student at Yale Divinity School working on my Masters of Divinity to pursue ordination in the American Baptist Churches of Connecticut. And during my second year of study, I got a very unique opportunity to travel to Kenya, All right. Nairobi, Kenya to be specific. Once in a lifetime opportunity. And to some degree, I was being offered this opportunity specifically because I was black. Let me explain to you what I mean. Nairobi, Kenya is the capital of a major East African country. In this capital, there is a significant amount of wealth there. But that's not why I was going over there. Myself and a few other colleagues of mine were traveling to Kibera which is easily one of the poorest slums in all of East Africa. And the organization that we were going there to work with specifically needed black students to do some of the field work in Kibera. What these philanthropists were fearful of is that for years they had been going into this community and asking really poor Africans what they could do to help them. How they could alleviate some of their immediate needs. What can be done to help them in their communities sustain themselves. And what they found uh, after doing this type of field work over years was something very fascinating that these Africans, to some degree, weren't being honest with them. They were biting their tongue, if you will. Some speculated that out of humiliation, they didn't want to come forward about their most intimate needs with people that just didn't look like them. So here we are, Yale students, sent into the field, two by two, to assess what our people need. Now obviously, we Yale students, we're not staying in Kibera. 
No, when we're done with our field work at the end of each evening, we go back to our five-star hotel in the capital of Nairobi. And while we were there, we made a habit and a practice of having a debrief, if you will, after each one of these assessments. And the first day on the continent was truly fascinating. Still to this day, I often struggle to put it into words. Bear with me while I try. I got off the plane and I distinctly remember getting out the airport and kissing the ground. I'm not sure exactly what compelled me to do it, but it felt like I could feel every ray of the sun bouncing off my skin. It felt like the air was just coming into my lungs more effortlessly. There was something electric. The best word I can describe, use to describe it is spiritual. About your flesh touching the land that you know was meant for people that look like you. Never felt anything quite like it. And then as I go into Kibera, at this debrief I'm talking about, with all of this majestic spiritual ecstasy that's happening, I can't quite shake a feeling of guilt. And part of that guilt, what it was, was understanding that myself as an American citizen, my passport, my tax dollars, in some way, is contributing to the suffering of these people that look like me. So I shared this testimony uh, with my cohort. And there were a few colleagues amongst us that didn't look like me. And one of them took the opportunity, unprovoked, to tell me what I was feeling uh, was guilt as a Christian minister. I won't share with you how I responded. <laughs> but what I will share with you, and this is the point of today's lesson, and this is often the point of most of our Bible studies each Tuesday. When we as African people do not make deliberate efforts to tell our stories That's about right. our encounters with God, That's right. That's right. That's right. we give people that don't look like us the opportunity to tell those stories. That's right. Amen. Which brings us to our scripture for this morning. This chapter, this eighth chapter of Acts is truly fascinating. And I remember the first time, it's so fascinating, I remember the first time that I was exposed to it. As a kid in Sunday school. In the context of the story, the way it was explained was that people of African descent, to some degree, should be thankful for chattel slavery. Because after all, had it not been for slavery, 
we would still be backwards peoples on the continent of Africa. When we don't make concerted efforts to tell our stories and our encounters with God, we give others the opportunity to tell those stories for us. So we're going to try to look at this story from Acts just a little bit differently by asking ourselves deliberately, where is our African and is this African free? as we journey back to Africa. So our first point of emphasis, you know, we, it's one of the things they teach us in seminary, right? Our sermon should have those three points. It's easy for folks to remember and follow on, right? Our first point of emphasis is when we talk about the continent, we often believe that Africa is too small. Say that one more time. When we talk about the continent, we often believe that Africa is too small. And I think we're seeing an example of this in this eighth chapter of Acts. Where the apostle Philip, one hand chosen by Christ himself, thinks Africa is too small. Scholars tell us that when we encounter this term Ethiopian in scripture, this was a term that Greeks and Hebrews probably used to describe all of Africa south of Egypt. The term more properly translates into the land of the burnt face people. This generic term used to group all Africans together to some degree. Believing the continent is too small. Now we can't be too hard on Philip. Because I think if we're honest with ourselves, we often engage in similar practices today. Assuming Africans are all of the same color. When we can look around this sanctuary this morning and see the diversity and skin complexions of African people. Assuming that Africans speak the same language is another practice we've often been guilty of. And that was one of the first things to go out of my mind when I actually touched the continent and kissed its ground. We often believe that the continent is far too small. And in doing so, we miss joyous opportunities to connect with it and to connect with our ancestors through it. It was 300,000 years ago that the first human beings crawled out of the dust of earth. Somewhere in that plain of East Africa. I heard one preacher put it this way, if there was a such thing as the Garden of Eden, it was most certainly on the continent. So my question is often, if God thought it not robbery to breathe the breath of life into humanity on the continent, who are we to constantly assume that it is too small? Was it not big enough for God? Was it not big enough for Eden? 
We often believe the continent is too small. And our second point is we often believe that Africa is poor. We often believe Africa is poor. Yeah, we see another example of this right here in our Bible story. The Spirit speaks to Philip and he walks up to this Ethiopian, assuming that he was poor. And not the same type of poverty that we're talking about today, right? Scripture clearly tells us that this eunuch was in charge of the queen's money. I think it's pretty fair to assume the brother had some change, right? No, but Philip makes another assumption. He assumes that this Ethiopian eunuch is spiritually poor. What do we mean by that? We mean that Philip assumes that this Ethiopian is ignorant of God without Philip intervening. As if Africans should be thankful for chattel slavery. Because had it not been for them intervening, we would still be backwards people. See, if we do not empower ourselves to tell our stories about our encounters of God, we open the door for other people to do this for us. That's right. That's right. It was 300,000 years ago. That God thought it not robbery to breathe the breath of life into humanity on the continent. And it was during that time that African people taught the world how to call the name of God. And like Philip, we still often assume today that had it not been for someone else's intervention, our ancestors would not have access to the almighty God. Too often we believe that the continent is poor. In addition to being bombarded with pictures and images of Africans in huts struggling to feed themselves, seemingly uneducated and backwards, We assume that our people had no God before the Bible. And this is the furthest thing from the truth. And our last point, our concluding point, is too often we don't believe in an African resurrection. Say that one more time. Too often we do not believe in an African resurrection. Our Old Testament reading for this sermon came from the book of Genesis chapter 50, where Jacob, who God changed his name to Israel, served as the main patriarch of Genesis that represents the destiny of King David's empire. Scripture clearly tells us in Genesis chapter 50 that upon his death, at the instruction of his favorite son, Joseph, Israel was embalmed. 
Israel was involved. One of the things that we study in our Bible study on Tuesday nights is talking about how influential Egyptian or Kemetic culture was on the history that gave us scripture. And one of the parts that's often associated with Egyptian culture, I know we just celebrated Halloween. Y'all probably had kids dressing up as like Egyptian mummies or things along that nature. This mummification process, this embalming process was thought to be one of the high peaks of comedic culture. These ancient Africans believed in burying their dead back into the ground from which we come in preparation for the resurrection. In fact, some scholars tell us that cremation was illegal in Egyptian civilization because by destroying your flesh, you might be cutting yourself off from the ultimate power of God. Yeah, it runs deep. It runs deep. And when we think about scripture, where is our African and is this African free? I think we see clear indications that it was through Egypt that African people taught our writers of scripture that the resurrection was possible. To the point where a few hundred years after Israel is embalmed, there was a charismatic figure from Galilee, from Gaza, that where we see Philip going south, he went up north into Jerusalem. And when he got there, he had a word with the religious figures of his day. And he essentially told them, what y'all doing here in this temple? It ain't right. And we read in the Gospel of John, he even flipped a few tables and chased some people out of the temple with a whip at the time. And it's ultimately gotten killed. Strung up by a tree. Pierced in the side. They hung him and he bled until he died. We know the story. We've heard it just about every Sunday as long as we've been attending church. And we also know that that's not how the story ends. Because the entire world found out on that third day that the resurrection was possible. And too often times, we don't believe that that reality is open to African people and the African continent. That in light of the poverty we see in places like Kibera, Africa can be resurrected. In light of the images that we see regularly that tell us that all Africans are the same, our culture can be resurrected. In light of the images that we constantly see that tells us that our people are backwards, our cultures can be resurrected. And I'm confident in this today because it was people like us and our ancestors that taught the world that resurrection was possible. So as I close this morning, uh, one of the things I will say is, I often try to 
think about our faith journey in relation to our ancestors. And specifically my ancestors, my grandmothers that uh, I told you I dedicated this sermon to. And part of that reflection is a humility in knowing that uh, you know, working class women like my grandmothers in the 20s and the 40s, they, they weren't gonna have the opportunity or wasn't gonna be as easily readily available for them to travel back to the continent the way that I had the opportunity to and the way I plan to do moving forward. But there is something else that we can offer. An opportunity to go back to Africa in our hearts, in our souls, and in our minds. An opportunity to come to God through Christ knowing that it was people that look like you who were the first to call God's name. The first to understand what it meant to marvel at the heavens as the reflections of God's almighty will. The first to look around and see nature and understand that this could not be anything but the will of God. And the first to teach humanity that resurrection is possible. The doors of the church are open this morning. Amen. Those that are uh, able, please stand and join us as our choir leads us. Resurrection is always possible for us. It's always present. If we are willing to live into it. Never ever depart from your presence, and now may the grace of God, 
rest, rule, and abide with each of us from now until forever. And let the people of God say, Yeah, it's what you, it was just something popping. Yeah. Really so I understand. Thank you.